If you've got your Bibles open, I want you to turn back now to John chapter 15 with me as I try to conclude verses 12 to 17. This is a sermon that will seem somewhat, Lord willing, exegetical, but in many ways will be somewhat topical as well. And basically the idea as we get ready for the Lord's table is we need to love others to actually prove we love Jesus. That's my big idea. It's not my idea, actually. It's me here to tell you that that's what the Bible says, that we need to love others. And the way we love others proves that we actually love Jesus. Because here we are. It's October the 10th of 2021. It's Thanksgiving weekend. And believe it or not, on the 25th of this month, we will mark 22 months since the first known case of COVID-19 hit the shores of Canada. So for 22 months now, we have been dealing with this and facing big decisions as Christians and as a church. And not only that, even as we find ourselves here on Thanksgiving weekend, we are also dealing with life. Life is people. And as people, we're made up of individuals and couples and families. Over the last year, from last Thanksgiving to this one, we've been facing all kinds of personal issues, issues like health decisions or relationship issues. We've been dealing with things like love and marriage, parenting, how you relate to or get along with your siblings or your parents or caring for them or how you find your value or identify or how you relate to your parents. Many of you over the last year have walked through pain. Some of you have made massive decisions about life. Some of you have sold homes, moved, you've changed jobs. Some of you have gotten promotions or started new jobs. Some of you have experienced the loss of a job and still are not working. And a few of us have experienced the circle of life in the form of death. If we were going to be honest here, we could poll ourselves and talk openly. Some of us have struggled all year with pain. It's been a tough year. And yet for some of you here, it's been a year of great joy. Some of you have gotten married. I know Shane and Dana aren't here with us physically because they went on a little bit of a honeymoon over this long weekend. Some of you have gotten engaged. Some of you have experienced milestone birthdays milestone anniversaries. Some of you have welcomed new children or new grandbabies into your lives and homes, and some have seen growth in your life and overcome obstacles. Some of you young people have graduated from either a tough class or grade. Some of you have graduated from high school and you've moved to that next step in maturation of adulthood and and university, and some of you even graduated from university. Many of you started new adventures. Some of you found love Some of you might have thought you found meaning in life and some of you have made great leaps forward in your career and made massive changes. Some of you have discovered what you want to do with life and decided to go all in with God. Some of you have decided to make the church a priority and some of you have started your spiritual journey to step out from behind maybe the shadow of mom and dad or have made the decision that Jesus is mine and I am his. And yet... This past year, and maybe even right now, some of us are tired. Some of us are weary in well-doing. Maybe as the wind howls outside and 
it kind of howls in our soul and we're a little scared or unsure about the future. Maybe some of us are wondering, what is life going to be like now? I don't know, but I've experienced this. Will life ever be normal again? And some of you are struggling spiritually. Some of you right here at church and online, if you have a moment of honesty, you've got a foot in the world and a foot in the church. You're trying to be religious, and yet sometimes that hurts because religion never pays off. Only a relationship with Christ is profitable. Some of you don't know if you're really all in with God and the Bible, with Jesus and all this stuff. Some of you, if we're going to be really honest, when was the last time you actually opened a Bible and read it? Some of us are angry, angry with God. Maybe you're not ready to admit that yet, but you'd be surprised if you actually search your heart. Some of us are angry with the church. Some of us are angry with ourselves. Some of us are even angry with somebody else. Some of you feel like life is going too fast, and I've been guilty of that, changing too fast, and some of you just wish life could slow down. And every day we're facing new demands. Every day our culture now is more than ever before. Pick a team, decide who I like and who likes me, or who I'm against and who's against me. And I don't know about you, but thoughts of why can't we all just get along dance around in my head more and more. <laughs> How is that for an opening of a sermon? Right? What a year we've had, and what a year we are still having. And yet, the Bible in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 tells us, Rejoice always, pray constantly, and give thanks, now listen to this, in every circumstance. And the reason we are to do this is because this is God's will for you and me and us in Christ Jesus. So on this Thanksgiving uh, weekend, I want to be like Paul. I want to be like Paul as Steve prayed in, in Romans chapter 1 when he said, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because you bear the news of your faith and it's being reported in all the world. I got texts. I got Facebook messages all weekend from pastors across this country, across this continent, and in different countries of the world where people are rejoicing about the existence of Calvary Baptist Church and Kilbride Community Church and the starting of Downtown Community Church and what God is doing here in St. John's, Newfoundland. Our faith is known. I want to be like Paul who gave thanks in Romans, but thank God that although we used to be slaves to sin... God showed us how to obey him from our heart and the teaching of that we were taught, that we were transferred to, and having been liberated from sin, we became now slaves to righteousness. As Debbie sang last week, and I was a bit resentful because I wanted to sing the song. This is fast becoming one of my favorite songs. I'm no longer a slave, not just to fear, but to sin. I am a child of God. I'm so thankful on this weekend I want to join with Paul in Romans chapter 6 into Romans chapter 7 and 8 when he could be honest and say, when I stare into a mirror and I, my natural instinct is to say, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from my insecurities and my anxiety? Who will rescue me from my inconsistencies 
And he says, but I thank God through my Lord Jesus Christ, my Savior, so that when I am struggling with the law of God and my flesh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so is it a wonder that Paul would remind us to be thankful to God for the victory he's provided for us each and every single day? In 2 Corinthians, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, and by the way, We actually show our true Christianity. We prove our love of Jesus by our love for each other and our thankfulness. In Ephesians 5, Paul said, and don't get drunk with wine. That's very timely for Newfoundland and Labrador, isn't it? We lead the country in per capita consumption of beer and alcohol. We lead this country in per capita alcoholism. But Paul says, don't get drunk with wine. He says, I want you to be led by and filled by the Holy Spirit. And what does that do? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing, making music from your heart. Not from your form and show, but from your heart. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father. So when we typically ask the question around Thanksgiving dinner this weekend. What are you thankful for? But in light of all the passages I just read, and let me remind you of one more before I ask you this Thanksgiving question. Psalm 75 verse 1, the psalmist said, We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. So listen, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the uncertainty, in the midst of even the emotional struggles we are having living in our country, in our time, in our tension of COVID and everything that comes with that, with politics and relationship and culture. Not for what are you thankful for, but to whom are you thankful for today and why? I thank God that when I feel like Peter and there's days I look at my Savior and I want to walk on the water and I feel that Romans chapter 8 that I'm not any, I'm not, I'm more than a conqueror. But there were days this past week where I got looking at the waves and I started to sink fast. And I thank God that I was able to say, Oh Lord, save me rescue me, encourage me, remind me that our God is still alive. Our God is still on his throne and our God is still in control. You see, this is how we're going to walk through all that we have to walk through today as Christians. It's how we're going to do life as Calvary Baptist Church. How are we going to live in this culture, in this world and still be joyful and calm and patient and hopeful and resolved and yet quiet? Courageous and yet wise, knowledgeable and fearless, yet gentle and sacrificial, daring and yet thankful, and ultimately loving. The only way that we are going to navigate COVID-19, vaccine mandates and passports, restrictions, And being the idea of that we are marginalizing ourselves and each other more and more, which, by the way, Christians have to own to some part, is our fault. Some of this is the world being the world. 
And some of that I'm going to preach on when I return from my trip, when we look at the end of John chapter 15, verses 18 to the end, when all of this, Jesus explains to us what to expect about how the world sees us. But ultimately, I want you and I to see today that all of what's happening in our lives never happens outside of God's sovereign will. Our God did not go on vacation. He's not taking a nap. He didn't forget about us. Our God sees us. Like the old hymn says, his eye is on the sparrow and I know he's watching me and you. So God and God alone is allowing these times. God and God alone is over them. As I said, he's not absent or asleep. And I would say even more, God is not angry. He's not forgetful. He's not left us. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but according to 1 John, of power. And that power shows itself in mercy and grace and thanksgiving and love. God has a plan. His plan is being worked out in our lives. And his plan is being worked out in world history on this planet earth. And God right now, you want to know how big he is? God sees and knows the hairs of every head of all 7.9 billion human beings on planet earth. As we sit here and I preach to you in St. John's, Newfoundland. So Calvary Baptist, what are we called to? We are called to be his witnesses. We are called to be ambassadors. We are called to be stewards of the gospel. This is the whole message, by the way, of 2 Corinthians, and I encourage you to read it right now while we're walking through this. We're told to be bold and thankful and loving. And why are we doing that? Because we've been set free. We've been forgiven. We're restored so we don't lose heart and we don't give up. And we're even courageous with our thanks and our love. Why? Because as Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, therefore we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. Now listen to this, because I have read this to myself more times in the last 72 hours than I think I have in 20 odd years as a pastor. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory so that we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, And what is unseen is eternal. You see, what happens now is you and I have to make the decision. Was Paul right in Philippians? For me to live is Christ. Amen? And to die is gain. Amen? Yeah, see, that wasn't quite as enthusiastic. My father uh, is a pastor. And I remember growing up and my dad is a good dispensationalist. So he believes in the rapture. But I remember my dad preaching to a church one day. And he'd say, some of you... Claim to believe in Christians and being in the rapture, but you're so in love with the world that when God comes back, you'll need a vacuum cleaner to suck you off this planet. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul reminds us, for Christ's love compels us. Let me ask you, don't let me just rush over that. Let me ask you today, does the love of Christ compel you, drive you, lead you, surge up within you, Are you afraid? Are you anxious? Are you discouraged? Are you tired? I can go check, 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 check. Yes. But does the love of God compel me since we have reached this conclusion? If one died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that those who lived should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. And if you want to know where I went, 
in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 this weekend, it doesn't sound, doesn't, let me ask you if this doesn't sound like today. He says, Paul says, we give no opportunity for stumbling to anyone. Why don't we do that? So that the ministry will be not blamed. But as God's ministers, as God's stewards, as God's ambassadors, as God's witnesses, we commend ourselves in everything by great endurance and by afflictions, by hardship, by difficulties, by beatings, by imprisonments, by riots, by labors, by sleepless nights, by times of hunger, by purity, by knowledge of patience, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the message of truth, by the power of God, and through weapons of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, through glory and dishonor, through slander and good report, as deceivers yet true, as unknown yet recognized, as dying, and look we live, as being disciplined yet not killed, as grieving yet always rejoicing, as poor yet enriching many, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Paul says, we have spoken to you openly, O Corinthians. Our heart has been opened wide. You are not limited by us, but you are limited by your own affections. In other words, things that compete for your love of Christ, which hinder our ability to love each other. We're called to be thankful this Thanksgiving weekend because we live for Christ and to die is gain, which then means makes us both willing and able to be loving. For the last month, every time I've had a chance to preach, I preach from John chapter 15, verses 12 to 17. And the reason I've done that is because I've wanted you and I to know who Jesus is to us. Jesus and his love for us. I've tried to show you that in this passage from John chapter 13 all the way to John 16, Jesus wants the disciples to know and wants you and I to know here in 2021 that Jesus is our sacrificial friend. He is going to suffer and die for us. He will pay the price for all of our inconsistencies and our fear and our discrepancies and our sin and our rebellion and our lack of faith and our running and hiding and our selfishness and our self Uh, self-pride, but he's also an intimate friend. He does that for you, and he does it for me. Jesus right now is alive at the right hand of God the Father, and he is interceding on our behalf, and he is the advocate. And you may sit here and feel like, I've sung that song, God's eye is on the sparrow, and I know what Jesus said in Matthew about he knows the hairs of my head, but I feel very much alone in a very, very big world. And I get it. And yet the message of this passage of Scripture is Jesus telling you and I, I've loved you and I will lay my life down for you. I love you and I will be your friend. Jesus says in John 15, 12 to 17, I don't call you slaves or servants anymore. I call you friends. For what I have heard from the Father, I've made known to you. In other words, he says, I won't hold back. I'll give you every assurance. I'll tell you everything that's happening. But then he is also our missional friend. His sacrifice and his intimacy gives us mission and purpose. And we've learned what it means to be a friend of God. 
and how Jesus' example of love is our guide to love each other before this watching world, especially in a time such as this. And so today, we were supposed to celebrate communion last week. Instead, God's plan is that we're going to do it today, Thanksgiving weekend, communion, God's gift to the church. It's actually an outward, outward display of us practicing loving each other. And we do that because what we're declaring is, I love you because Jesus loves me. And so I've told you this many times. John the Apostle writes this first century biography of Jesus. He chooses these seven amazing signs, these seven wonderful and powerful I am statements of Jesus. And he wants you and I to believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. That love put on skin. Love is personified in Jesus Christ. When you ask the disciples, what is it you believe? What do you cling to? What is it that's important to you in life? They pointed to Jesus. They didn't point it to a bunch of documents. They pointed to a person. Jesus lays down his life for us. Forgives our sin and our sinfulness. Loves us as sinners. But he loves us so much he won't leave us as sinners. And so he transforms us. Galatians and Ephesians and 2 Corinthians calls us a new creation. He restores our image before God, gives us his righteousness, makes us perfect before God. And then God not only accepts us, he adopts us. He calls and declares us. We are his sons and daughters. We are joint heirs with Christ as God Almighty writes us in to his eternal will, which means death is no longer our enemy. And we are free from the lies of Satan, free from the cheap knockoff pleasures of the world, free from even our own feelings. Indeed, Romans 8 is right. We are more than conquerors and we are never going to be separated from the love of Jesus. So we've been given an identity, and you have value, and you have purpose. We live for God and not ourselves. So now we can suffer well in a wrecked and crazy world. We can face tomorrow because we actually know who holds our hand. We can, and we are empowered to be both loving and thankful. In fact, we should be thankful for being thankful. Because if we're thankful, it's only because Christ has loved us. And we want to be loving in a Christ-like way because Jesus has loved us. And the same John who wrote John chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16, later in one of his letters summarized all four of these chapters in 1 John 4. He says, in this, love is perfected within us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. For we are as he is in this world. And there is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. Because fear loves involves, sorry, fear involves punishment. So the one who fears has not reached perfection in love. We love, here's the kicker. We love because he first loved us. We love each other. I've given a month to unpack these Five verses. We've learned that Jesus commands our love. Look at verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one one another. We've learned that Jesus' love commands our love. He said back in chapter 13, verse 34, a new commandment I leave with you that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, so you are to love each other. 
we've learned that we've got a friend in Jesus. And we see that Jesus' example of love is what we must look to in order to define love. Okay, so here we are today. Today we actually consider what it means and what it looks like to love each other in the reflective way of Christ's love for us. And yet, once again, herein lies our issue. Last week I said this, we all want to be loved and we all wish we could love. And that's why we write the love songs and the poems and the books and the movies. Even even though and if God tarries in a couple of months in January, I'll turn 50. Yes, I will be half a century old. But God in his love had a young lady in that room tell me today that my hair is always perfect. She loved me. And that was such a blessing. I've been blessed in my 50 years of life to do far more weddings as a pastor than I have funerals. And just about every wedding I've ever done, a portion or all of 1 Corinthians 13 has been read. After all, it is called the love chapter. I'm amazed that each couple wants to write their own vows for each other and what they want to write and what they want to say. It always makes me smile and laugh when I tell people, go write your vows and come back and tell me what they are. And they're always like every love song I've ever heard. And Shane and Dana aren't here physically. They went away, but they are watching online. And I remember, if you remember, if you were at their wedding, the first song that they wanted to dance together was this song called A Thousand Years. And we all loved it. We loved the music and the mood and the beautiful couple, and we all wished them well and longed for their happiness. But have you actually ever read the lyrics of that song? Hearts beat fast. Colors and promise. How to be brave. How can I love when I'm afraid to fall? But watching you stand alone, all of my doubt suddenly goes away. Somehow one step closer. And then, this is just fantastic, isn't it? I have died every day waiting for you. Well, that's nasty. (laughs) Darling, don't be afraid. And then this is just not possible. I have loved you for a thousand years and I'll love you for a thousand more. None of us can do that. This is what happens because we want to be loved and we long to the love. We long to love. And why do we do this? We make promises that are impossible. So we actually live so much of our life looking and longing for love in all the wrong places, being constantly disappointed that love never measures up. And why? Because we're not looking at Jesus. And we're not looking just at Jesus as Jesus as our example of what love is. And once we start thinking about, and I mean really pondering just how much Jesus loves, thinking about the way he loves. Remember, don't forget this, in John chapter 13, verse 1, John starts this by saying, Jesus, having loved his own, loved them to the end. Man, I needed to be reminded of that over and over again. In fact, all of chapter 15 is a chapter about love. Verses 1 to 11 is Jesus' love for us. Verses 12 to 17 is about our reflecting his love for us to each other. And verses 18 to the end is how you and I will love like him and love a world like him that's going to hate us. So when you and I look to Jesus as our example, this will mean you and I have to look to Jesus to fuel our love. We not only look to Jesus as our example, but importantly this morning, if you're writing something down, you need to look to Jesus Christ who's going to fuel your love. 
Our love of others is to be reflective of the love of Jesus for us. It's a sacrificial love. It's an intimate love. It's a missional love. Scott Saul says, according to Jesus, love your neighbor as yourself includes every kind of neighbor. This becomes possible only when we experience the neighboring love of Jesus toward us. Panage so well read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Martin Luther said it was one of his favorite chapters in all the Bible, but this is what he said in his diary. The more a person loves, the closer he or she approaches the image of God. Now listen to me. According to the Bible, which is the word of God, in our passage of John 15, 12 and 1 Corinthians 13, love, you want to write this down? Here's my challenge. Love is the clearest mark of a Christian. Love is. John 13, 34, John 15, 12, John 15, 17. All command us to love. Romans 12 tells us to love one another with brotherly affection. Romans 13 pleads with us to owe no one anything except to love each other. 1 Corinthians 16 tells us, let all that you do be done in love. Galatians reminds us of Leviticus that we are to love our neighbor as ourself. Ephesians 5 reminds us to walk in love, that is, do everyday life lovingly. 1 Thessalonians tells us to love each other. Hebrews 10 goes even further and says we're not only to love each other, but we're to actually stir each other on to love each other. We're to actually be cheerleaders and say, hey, I want you to love more. Peter says our love is to be genuine and pure. Then he tells us to love earnestly and passionately and urgently. And of course, all of these verses and everything I've wanted to help myself and you all understand about love is actually found in 1 Corinthians 13. For truly, it is the love chapter. And not for marriages. For Christians. For the church. For this church. If love is our badge to wear and the character of Christianity that we're called to display, then I would say we need to read 1 Corinthians 13 more and more because we seem to be getting, getting it wrong and we seem to be doing it less and less. You see, according to this chapter, it really doesn't impress God if you're growing in your ability to witness or explain the Bible or to win arguments or debates it doesn't matter how much you serve or give or preach and teach. It doesn't matter how much your so-called faith, even your willingness to sacrifice and stand for truth, all of which is and has been on display in our country this last year. God doesn't even turn to notice your years of attending church, by the way. He's like Shania Twain. That don't impress me much. God is not impressed by your giving to the church if you and I don't have, have and do that with what? Out of a love for Christ out of a love for others, fueled by Christ. Ray Ortland Jr., one of my favorite heroes of the faith, did a great job of showing us what are the opposite of the Beatitudes. Here on Thanksgiving weekend, maybe we got to be reminded that when Jesus decided to preach a sermon, he started with, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those, now listen to this, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, be thankful, and be glad. Be loving, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. But you and I in 2021 live in a world that does the opposite of this. Congratulations to the entitled, for they grab what they want. Congratulations to the carefree, for they shall be comfortable. Congratulations to the pushy, for they shall win. Congratulations to the greedy, for they shall climb the food chain. Congratulations to the vengeful, for they shall be feared. Congratulations to those who don't get caught, for they shall look good. And congratulations to the argumentative, for they shall get in the last word. And congratulations to the popular, for this world lies at their feet. Oh, young people and young adults, don't congratulate yourself but rather be blessed by God. The gospel is more than handy tips for improving your lives. The gospel is the comprehensive new outlook on everything. The gospel is John 15 and 1 Corinthians 13. God not only makes us promises, the world has its own version of events. The world has its own version of eschatology, its own promises of reward. And you've got to choose, and I do and we do. And either way, we will be living by faith. And so it is with 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Panage read it. Paul wrote it to the church. He said, love is patient, but when love is cold, we lose patience easily. How often are we unkind? Yet, according to this passage of Scripture, love is kind. We live in a world of envy. We want what others have, and we pine for the privileges and rights of others, even those in our own family or other churches. Yet, according to our passage, love does not envy. When someone challenges us about our love or our lack of it, do we quickly and quite confidently list all the things we have done? Hey, yeah, listen, you've got no right to say that to me. Let me tell you about all the ways I've loved you or served this church or done this. Do you know how many business meetings I went to or how many uh, work nights I've been to? When you argue with your spouse, do you remind them of all the work you've done? And yet, according to our passage in 1 Corinthians, it says, love does not boast and is not arrogant. Love doesn't try to prove. It doesn't have to. If you're constantly giving your resume or love, are you truly loving? How much do we take each other for granted? We say things to those closest to us, hurtful things, harsh things. And why? Why does the world say we hurt the ones we love? Now let me get pop culture and maybe get myself in trouble. Because I would say to you, Calvary Baptist, both here and online, and let me say it, I agree with Ed Stetzer who said, if cable news and social media is keeping you from unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ, turn it off, unplug it, unsubscribe from it, and prioritize your church and people over media. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said as he was led to a concentration camp, Christians who can no longer listen to one another will soon no longer be listening to God either. 
And one man has said, sin is so comprehensive that it affects our reasoning. Someone offends us and we think vengeance is a proper response. Someone hurts us and we harden ourselves because pride and not vulnerability is considered strong. And then he says, oh God, renew our minds. But 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is not rude. So we don't take each other for granted. We don't just say hurtful things. Yet we live in a world that says, my rights, my needs, my wants, my safety, my health, my desires, my pleasures are more important than yours are. Yet 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says, love does not insist on its own way. I mean, what do we do with this stuff? When we are tired and frustrated, if we get angry quickly and pull away or snap at each other, and yet 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says, love is not irritable. And what about when we see all the faults in someone else and we're only too happy to tell anyone else what their problem is, how much they failed, how much they don't love. But again, 1 Corinthians 13 says love is not resentful. So my friends, we're not growing in love when we've got all kinds of time for projects but not people. Love is not love if it doesn't protect the weak and the innocent and the confused. Love is not love if we don't give, share, and commune and sacrifice. Love is not love when we don't confront. And we don't love if we stand back and let someone ruin their life or the lives of others. We don't love if we simply stand back and don't tell someone the truth. And bring shame upon themselves or hurt themselves and those around them. Love is not love if we don't care about the lost. When we are not burdened and compelled to help the poor and the hurting and marginalized with their physical needs and their spiritual needs. How can we say we're loving? 1 Corinthians 13 is not, is real love. It's not a fake love. One that acts loving but isn't genuine. And I got to confess to you because I did this. I'm guilty of this just yesterday. Debbie got her hair cut yesterday by Cheryl. And if it looks beautiful, give Cheryl credit. But I was sitting in my, my, my truck. Yes, Adam, my truck, if he's here. Uh, For those of you that wonder about that palisade, that is my truck. And love me enough not to correct me on that. I was sitting in the parking lot, sipping my tea, waiting for Debbie. And this dude in a beat-up old minivan pulls up beside me, gets out. And all of a sudden, I feel like I'm being looked at. And I look up, and he does this. And I wave, I roll down my window, and he says, Sorry to bother you. I'm trying to get to Torbay, and I got no money, and my tank's on empty. Could you spare a few dollars? And as a rule, I try to keep some money, some cash in my, my, my truck. And uh, I reached in there and I found a $10 bill and I gave him, he said, I just want to go over there to the gas station, which was a, 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 an SO gas station right over across the street. And he said, you can look in my truck. You can see it's on empty if you want. I said, no, man, that's all right. And so he took the $10, got in his truck and he blew out of town. He didn't stop at that gas station. He just made large and left. And for about five minutes, I sat there and said, you dirtbag. How dare you take that money from me? And then I remembered everything that I'm supposed to stand up here and say to you. And I asked myself, Steve, why'd you give him the money in the first place? To look good? To make yourself feel like you're the one that has the means and he had to come and humble himself to you? Did I just love him because he's made in the image of God? And that's all he knows is survival. 
And I acted loving all the while sitting there in judgment. And I wondered, Lord, is my love fueled by your love for me? Because you know how many times I've prayed and asked God to give me things? And he does. And then I don't thank him and I do exactly the opposite of everything I promised I would do. And yet he still loves me. Love is not love if we don't rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Our passage in Corinthians says love, are you ready for this? Love bears all things. Love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. You see, only a person who ever has or will love without fail is Jesus. Our calling is not to be perfect. I've just shown you I can't be. But we are to become like the one who is. And we were at a point all that it's not about the speed of your change, but the direction. And so can you and I truly say and admit, Pastor Steve, I am making progress in being Christ-like fueled because I want to love like Christ loves. And when you and I do that, Christ's love will be a missional love. And by the way, this love that Jesus is talking about is different between natural love and supernatural love. The Bible calls natural love, natural affection. We all love and are supposed to love our, our spouse and our kids and our friends. We love the first two from biology and obligation and the last one out of pleasure and convenience. We're not showing Christ-like love when we simply act like anyone else would in the world. Christ's love is not, does it please me love? In other words, I get the benefit a man will love a beautiful woman. He'll even do anything for a beautiful woman because he loves not her but her beauty. Oh, girls, I hope you get that. Find a man who will love you for you and not just because he loves your beauty. His love is not without selfish motive if it's just loving you because of what he can get. Same is true of I'll love you if you love me back. That's contractual love. In Luke 6.32, Jesus said, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Christ-like, Christ-fueled love is not the, greatest, the greatness of your love towards someone you find easy to love or get pleasure from or will love you back. It's your love towards someone who is hard to love, who is not going to be easy to love or even get any benefit from it when you love. Then we need to be sure we understand unbalanced love. We say, I love them and I will give them anything physically, but I'll never worry about the person or how the person acts or thinks or lives. So we meet all of their outward needs without ever loving them enough to provide them spiritually and emotionally and intellectually. And that's why in John, 1 John chapter 3, it says, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And so your love for other Christians, if you love and are fueled by Jesus, will strengthen if your love is fueled by the example and love of Jesus, your love for the lost will grow. Your love for your family will be more spiritual and less natural. And prayer life will change. We'll pray for it to be fruitful and to see fruit. It's both personal and missional. We're called to love and that love drives us to pray. It's a prayer for laborers, for people, for us to be witnesses, for us to have opportunities, for us to be able to make it possible. God will never not answer the prayer of missions. In fact, if you want to be able to say 
we will or can gauge our love of Christ and love for each other by the urgency and passion and our desire for the love of God to spread and shared with the lost. And so let me ask you this as I finish and we do communion together. Why is real Christian love so scarce in the world? Maurice Roberts says it's because its cultivation requires nothing less than than the reversal of every instinct in our fallen natures. Love is against the grain of nature. It's against every fiber of our being as sinners. But nature, when it meets Jesus, is under a higher power of grace. When the natural man or woman cannot and will not, true Christians say, we can, we must, and we are able So here we are, ready to participate in the Lord's Supper. And I'm going to ask those of you that are going to serve, if you'd make your way here to the front. We're going to do things differently. These people are going to put on their masks and gloves, and they're going to go through these pews and pass you the bread and pass you your juice. But as we get ready to participate in the Lord's Supper, and guys, you go go ahead and just start to deliver this out. I want you to try and... Not be distracted by them, but focus on me just for two more minutes. Why do we do it? Why are we doing this? And all of the energy we have done and taken so we can do this. If we're not motivated by the love of Christ, fueled by His love to love others, and driven by Holy Spirit power to love and be in community... When we did our baptism about a month ago, I want you to think about what we did. We gathered all around. We watched everybody do it. And now we're going to gather around and we're going to have a spiritual meal together. So ladies and gentlemen, go ahead and please start to distribute this to everybody. And while they're doing that, and Curtis, you can play quietly. I want to ask you all, are you and I meditating on the love of Christ in and on your life? Be honest with me, men and women, church, family. When was the last time you warmed your heart before the fire of Jesus' love? Are you willing to discover more of God's love for you as you give God's love to somebody else? I want you to, be identi- I, I want you to identify and be honest about where you struggle to love. And why don't you look around this room and be honest about who you find it hard to love? Who is someone in this room that you're like, you know what, I just avoid them. I don't talk to them. I won't invite them over. I won't spend time with them. And why don't you be courageous enough to start praying for them and look for opportunities to show God's love for them. So here, even in the midst of COVID, as we have communion together, can I ask you all, are you just attending church or are you belonging to it? Are you simply religious or are you serving, giving, and sharing your life? One person said, I love Jesus, but not the church. To say that is a form of identity theft. It's taking Christ's name, but not identifying with his body. And I want you to listen. You cannot participate in communion. You cannot claim to obey Jesus Christ. You cannot say, I love Jesus and trust him and not be in Christian community and willing to forgive and love any other Christian. I've said it before and I'll say it over and over again. There are no lone rangers in Christianity. 
So we participate in this ordinance and I want you to ask yourself, who am I doing this with? Can I pray for someone here or encourage them or show forgiveness to them or come alongside of them? Who or how can I help someone? Because a true friend, and young people listen to me, a true friend is a real treasure. The staff, someone that you can confide in, someone who knows the best and worst about you without making you feel like a fool, is to have found something precious. And I would and long that all of you would know a friendship like that of Jonathan and David who strengthened each other and loved each other. We all need a Timothy who will intensely commit it to us. And despite the fact that we've got TikTok and Snapchat and Instagram and all these things, what we need is real, one-on-one, face-to-face time where we can love each other. Because all those other things, as it's proven, just leave us empty and lonely. So as this is being distributed, I want you to remember this. We are saved as Christians from God's wrath, by God's grace, because of God's love, into God's people, and for God's glory. Now let me ask you, do you believe that? If so, do you believe that that's true for everyone who is a Christian? Then how? How could we not be in a relationship with everyone? And John Newton, who once said these words, Our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty, are joined to part no more. It is our highest pleasure, no less than duty's call, to love him beyond measure and serve him with our all. And if I can have one more pop culture reference, as Forrest Gump says, that's all I've got to say about this. Our love for each other, listen to me now, our love for each other and only our love for each other actually proves that we are Christians. Nothing else, nothing less. It's only that.